0: So I've been getting really into a new line of non-alcoholic drinks lately called Optimist. These are a sugar-free, uber-clean, sort of gin alternative, but I'm mainly saying that because I've been drinking wine with tonic, which is very British of me, and it's actually a bit misleading in terms of how they taste. The flavours being the big selling point here, which are just so unique and floral and interesting that they're not really like anything else in the alcohol-free space. trust me I have tried pretty much everything out there. There are three different varieties bright, smoky and fresh. Some alcohol-free spirits don't really have much of a flavour but that cannot be said for optimist drinks. This is basically what I would want to be drinking at a summer party or a wedding or a fancy dinner with friends and they also pair really well with food. You can find them at optimistdrinks.com, where you can also get 15% off your order with the code CURIOUS. Hello, and welcome back to the Sober Curious podcast, a place for conversations about living a more conscious and connected life. I'm your host, Ruby Warrington, and my guest today is Bill Schufelt, who is the founder of Athletic Brewing, my favorite alcohol-free craft brewery. Bill has been a major player in spearheading the rapidly expanding non-alcoholic space. And in this episode, he shares his own Sober Curious journey, what led to him quitting completely nine years ago, and the story behind how he quit his job and took the leap into the entrepreneurial space. Along the way, we touch on some really interesting points that help to join the dots between the competitive, high-performance culture that underpins so much of American life, and the dominant drinking culture here. Bill also shares some surprising statistics about the way Americans drink and the impact of problem drinking on a macro and a micro level. He also shares about the wider mission for Athletic and how his own sobering up has led to a personal commitment to being a positive force for change in the world. This is Bill Schufelt. Hey Bill, how are you doing? Hey
1: good thanks Ruby thank you so much for having me on it's great to talk
0: it's so great to talk we've both just been saying how like this conversation's been waiting to happen for at least 2 years i would say at this point um, which is i guess around the time that i first became aware of athletic i can't completely remember but i seem to feel like i discovered your brand kind of around the same time that sober curious the first book was coming out when did you actually launch uh, yeah so right around then we we're in
1: planning from 2014 to 18 and then launched in 2018. Right. Yep.
0: So, yeah. So the curious came out at the end of that year. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've both been swirling around building the same community just from like different sides. And it's been so much fun and so great to get together one on one and talk.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I definitely, yeah. You, I mean, you've been such a, you've, you've been such a kind of, forerunner of this whole kind of alcohol-free movement which honestly like I had no idea any of this was happening the whole time I was first talking about being sober curious and first trying to seed this concept you know it was like I had no idea that there was this whole industry kind of bubbling along and about to burst out at right around the same time and for somebody who's always written about social trends and always just been fascinated on a really personal level about kind of where we're moving as a society, like the general sort of directions that we're going in and why and how all of our individual daily choices actually are what make up these bigger kind of macro shifts. It's always so gratifying to kind of feel like I'm actually part of something that's been building momentum behind the scenes. And then it all just kind of bursts out at the same time. So did you have a sense of that happening while you were creating Athletic? Or did you really feel like you were just kind of out on a limb, just following your own kind of passion and your own instincts?
1: (laughs) I think a lot of both, probably. Um, Yeah, it's so cool that all these data points and people having unique experiences in so many different corners of the world and driven by so many different but similar influences in society, um, kind of all coming to the same conclusions or similar conclusions all at the same time and seeing this movement really take hold and thought leaders like yourself putting words to it with terms like sober curious that permissions people to cross in and out of sobriety and moderation where it used to be so unapproachable and scary, anonymous and black and white. I think you really put the term so nicely to the modern movement. Um, And um, yeah, I think there's so much of it, almost gaining traction these days in the information at our fingertips is improving where you're not relying on society to tell you something or paid advertising to drive your opinions. There is literally an abundance of information and searchable information at all our fingertips. And like the way that it happened towards like the second half of the last decade and like just the quality of information and people being able to track what they put into their bodies and how it makes them feel in the outputs in their daily life, I think, was driving a lot of different people towards similar conclusions. And so it's really cool to see how it manifests in all different parts of the world.
0: Yeah, I love the way you're describing that. And it is, is, yes, of course, this has all happened at the same time as we've had so much more access to very diverse streams of information that can help us then really personalize our choices, like we can really, we're, we're much less dictated to, like you say, by a few very kind of static messages from either the media or from advertising. There's all of these individual voices of people sharing their actual lived experiences, which I think has helped people recognize themselves on that spectrum of alcohol use, misuse, where maybe they didn't see a place for themselves before, even though they had an instinct that there was something to be addressed there. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point to mention that this diversity of information is actually really been what's driving it.
1: Yeah, so much safety and comfort in that data and information where like beer and alcohol advertising would have you think that 90% of people drank the way that really only 10 or 20% drink and like 80% of the country has like one or two drinks a week at most where 50% has almost no drinks a week. And so it really, I think, empowers people to have information like that.
0: That's so interesting. So when you say alcohol advertising, because immediately I went to, well, alcohol advertising suggests that everybody everybody always has a good time when they drink. They always look fabulous when they drink. It always leads to the outcomes that they want, whether that's social, whether it's romantic, whether it's kind of confidence, whatever it is, when the reality is often not the case <laughs> for a lot of drinkers. But I think what you're suggesting is that actually far fewer people engage with the drinking culture than we are led to believe. And that actually not non-drinking is far more normalized and widespread than we actually believe. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think the rate at which people are opting out of drinking culture or opting in in a healthier way is accelerating. And I think it's because of the information that people like you have really made accessible and like given people language to identify themselves comfortably with more modern concepts. Um, yeah, I think previously um, society in general had done a really effective job of having like defining if you're not drinking, you're an alcoholic and you're in this very small bucket and it's anonymous, so you can't talk about it. Which made speaking, even if that experience was positive, it made it really hard for people to talk about it and like spread that word. And I think so much of this movement is about empowering people and like getting to better outcomes in their life. So that's really the impact we're looking to have.
0: Which you, to which you speak from personal experience. So I understand, as I understand it, at this point, it's been almost nine years since you last had a drink. Is that right? Yeah, some, yeah, like eight and a half years. Right, right. Which is a long time, Bill. (laughs) I mean, do you, do you consider yourself sober? Yep. Yeah, I'm.
1: I'm totally sober. Um, it was really intentional on my part when I did make the decision to stop drinking, just because um, I knew if I made excuses and drank from time to time, um, I'm just someone with a big appetite and big energy, and it's like I knew, like I just wanted to have a zero excuses, zero tolerance policy.
0: Right, right. And so where, where did that come from? I'd love if you could, yeah, just share a bit about how you how you arrived at that point. You know, that was eight and a half, nine years ago. Had you been questioning your drinking before that point? If you could just kind of, yeah, just to share your story, that'd be really great.
1: For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, my prior life, like I'm definitely an accidental entrepreneur, had no intention of ever being an entrepreneur. And definitely not in food and beverage i didn't I didn't have a single entrepreneurial idea for a decade plus of working before I had my first and only one um, but my prior life was entirely in the hedge fund and finance world um and so I'd grown up in a community where a lot of people worked in finance and I saw that as like the natural career path and went to college, went to finance, and was off and I was really 12 years into a financial career that I never would have assumed anything else for the next 20 years of my career. Um, but as I was turning 30, I was about to get married in six months. Um, I was training for my first ultra distance race. And there were a lot of different moving parts of my life where um, my life was all based around performance, like really every hour of the day, every hour of the week, every day of the week. and I loved waking up at five o'clock, getting in a great workout, going to work. Um, My job was really intense. It was one of the highest trading turnover hedge funds. So you had to be on your game every day. And it was a room of very intellectual, sharp people who were not shy about challenging your ideas in public forums. And so you had to be present and in top form every day. And then after work, I loved going out for drinks or dinner with colleagues for dinner for like work dinners uh dinner with my wife sports bars with friends and then on weekends it was weddings bachelor parties barbecues all sorts of things like that and before I knew it it was looking there was an occasion to drink five or six nights a week and I was waking up at 5 a.m and I was doing more grueling workouts and the work day was more intense and it just felt like I was burning the candle at both ends. And, um, as I was training for that race, I decided to stop drinking for a month and felt incredible. Um, I was sleeping through the night the first time in decades, really, probably since high school. And, um, my anxiety about the work week or the work day was starting to fall away. And it was all things that I didn't know were possible. Um, and like, I realized alcohol was such an artificially low ceiling and led to so many problems, like such a disproportionate amount of problems and distractions in my life that cutting it out was just like the ultimate life hack. And I felt great. I was eating healthier. I was sleeping better. I was sharper at work. I was working out better. And then all those positive things all were like a flywheel because they were all healthy. And so once I stopped, it was, super easy to stop and not go back the only pain point was like I still love doing all those things like at work dinners now everyone would ask why aren't you drinking uh when me and my wife would go to a restaurant we'd sit down to an incredible like Italian dinner and you'd have to have like a diet soda to pair with it and it would and like a a beverage is equally as important to the food in a meal and um, at a wedding, I would be a wallflower at a barbecue. There would be nothing in the cooler for me and it's such a part of human tradition to have a beverage in your hand to fit in because humans have been drinking alcoholic beverages for thousands of years um It's just modern day life is so much more twenty four seven stressful and connected that like that alcohol doesn't really fit as much as it used to, and so and those were kind of the light bulbs going off in my head where stop stopped drinking for really lifestyle reasons, but also like personal improvement. And, um, and then the impact I saw in my life was incredible on the other end.
0: So for you, you saw the benefits right away. It was almost like immediate, like, oh, remove this thing. And all of a sudden... What were the kind of the difficult points in my life, like not having energy, feeling burnt out, anxiety, not being able to keep up, all just kind of like dissipated right away.
1: <laughs> For sure. And it it was like, it gave me such a confidence and like, it really helped me identify alcohol as like the biggest distraction in my life and the, like a ceiling that was just there that I would have never thought to remove previously. And once the ceiling was gone, it was so exciting. Um, I had this like intellectual curiosity at night that I hadn't had since I was like 16 years old, and all of a sudden I was like like reading a lot more, and so it, yeah, it was just so many different positive things adding on to each other.
0: So when you started drinking, was it similarly, this is just like what people do, like people just, they go to college, they go into this finance, they they get married at a certain age, they do all, they kind of tick all of these kind of classic boxes. Was drinking just one of those boxes or did, or was there, did you, have you had any realizations, I suppose, over the past eight years as to like, why, like a deeper why that you were drinking, or was it just because it could just be that this is literally just what we do? Like, it's not 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 everybody's drinking to medicate something or to kind of escape from something. But was there anything like that kind of underneath for you? Yeah, I think my drinking was probably
1: driven by a lot of different factors, honestly, that all compounded together. Um, a the societal norm and fitting in um, where I grew up definitely was heavier in drinking per capita than most places probably and then the college experience too wanting to fit in and like perceiving like what i assumed everyone was doing but i was probably really in the like upper 10 percent um
0: of heavy drinking you mean
1: yeah yeah. um but the world's also such a stressful place and like in, in high school i had so many activities took such serious classes and was work 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 all the time and trying to get to the best college and then that kind of continues to build on itself right into your career where you're just burning different candles and it's like but it's all the same stress and I think alcohol was a way to just turn my mind off at the end of the night and like de-stress and then um I think another partial factor was my mom passed away when I was 18 and I think I didn't properly deal with that too. And so I had all these factors kind of in a swirl adding to my drinking. Um, plus I naturally just have a huge appetite and I'm sure that was part of like just, I liked really good food and like good drinks. And so um, I absolutely fell in love with craft beer. I loved wine and, So it's, I went to college in Vermont where we had, it was still pretty early in the craft beer movement, but we had five great breweries within 20 miles of where I went to college. And so like, I really grew an appreciation for beer. And so having such great beer readily available definitely didn't help either. So
0: Yeah, right. And I'm sure that that played a big factor in you going into the craft beer industry. And I want to get there in a little bit. I want to touch on something else you said that I think is really interesting, that Alcohol as a substance for relaxation, for connection, can have uses in that area. However, layer that on top of, or layer kind of all of the stresses and the pressures of this kind of like uber-connected, 24-7, always on, uber-competitive world that we live in, actually, and that you've been describing. And it's just incompatible because it's so... um, it incapacitates us to the extent that we can't actually keep up with the pace that's kind of expected of us in modern life. And so one thing, great, yeah, remove the alcohol, find other things to replace it with, that's great. But I also think, and I wonder if you ever feel curious about like, how did we get, how how did we, when did we sign up to living such over-scheduled, uber-competitive lives? And the other piece of that puzzle really, isn't it, is like, how can we actually give ourselves permission to just kind of take a bit of a load off to not always have to be the best and not always be the top sales guy to not, you know, and that's, that kind of gets into a a deeper questions about like the kind of society that we live in and the kind of society that we're saying yes and okay to when we keep operating at that, that kind of inhuman pace, almost, if you know what I mean.
1: (laughs) I, I totally agree. And that's something I've found and examined, like as I've become an adult and really tried to examine what's important in my life. And mindfulness and meditation is something I've really found and has let me more thoughtfully for the first time in my life, look back on the past 20, 25 years and um, evaluate what truly is important in my life. And I think that was a big part of like stepping out of the financial world and realizing there's a lot more than just financial gain and competing on the same score scoreboard that a lot of people are competing on. Um, and I do, yeah, the world is insanely stressful and um, it, it hasn't gotten any less stressful in with COVID and politics and everything going on in our society where um, like really trying to approach more and more things just with positivity and like assuming positive intent these days. And um, it, it is such a, like the tools people need to step out of the craziness of like being busy for busy sake um, are like, I know personally I could sit at the computer and just like respond to my inbox all day and be busy and like finish a 12 hour workday feeling I accomplished nothing. Or I can just focus on three projects or four projects and do four to six hours of work. And like, really focused quality work in four to six hours feels better than like 12 hours of business. Um, So definitely trying to approach things with mindfulness and also kind of to what you were saying previously too, um, the world is so, um, we've become so used to as a society and like medicating our way out of things rather than looking for the root causes and like a medication or say alcohol or something to like, remove the stress, doesn't remove the stress, it just blocks it for six hours. And then you wake up with that stress and a new stress of your hangover or lack of performance or whatever. And um, I think there are really healthy ways where people can participate in the stress reduction activities of social and family, just with alternatives to what have traditionally been like the cures for that.
0: Absolutely. Completely agree with you. I am very curious just before we move on from kind of the more personal aspect of your story, when you like really quit, like that last drink you ever had, was there there a particular moment where you were like, this is it, I'm really done with this now? Or was it just one day that was just the last drink and that was that?
1: Um, Yeah, it was just my Sundays had gotten increasingly anxious, like just dreading the work week and after like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like, boom, it hits you like a wall on Saturday that like, your weekend's over and you're facing this week again. And I was just in this cycle that I didn't want to be in. And I think alcohol was a huge part of that too. And um, so yeah, my Sunday scaries were getting so bad, it was ruining my Saturdays. And at that point, I was just sick of it. And I wanted to like opt out of that cycle. So that mm-hmm. that was the moment that I quit. Yeah.
0: Good for you. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. <laughs> I'm also really curious. I know we said we'd move on from the personal stuff, but how about how how did your your partner um kind of respond to this change? Was she because I, I assume that you used to enjoy drinking wine together and it was part of your kind of romantic life like it is for many people. I'm wondering how the conversation went with her about this.
1: Yeah, my So me and my wife um, have known each other a long time, about 20 years. And um, so she's been like my biggest supporter across every turn of my journey um, in starting athletic and my personal life leading up to that before too. And um, yeah, she's just been a huge supporter of in every, not only this way, in every way I try to work on myself. So it's, um, she was, yeah, a huge supporter and, I always drank more than she did too. So this was also perfect. And um, so it's, yeah.
0: Great. (laughs) I'm really, I'm happy to hear that. And I I thought you might, you might say that Um, because I think it can, depending on depending, and often it does depend on the the other person's drinking habits too. Like if you quitting was actually maybe a positive excuse for her to maybe even drink less then that's a benefit to you both. Whereas if you quitting is shining a light on the fact that she wants to drink more or is drinking more than perhaps she thinks is good for her, then that can cause the tension and the conflict.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I think it helped us both drink less, honestly, because we were probably drinking more than we wanted to, or having more drinking occasions than we wanted to in the Mm. week. And I will also say a lot of my friends were super supportive too and colleagues where, um, I very quickly realized that people don't really care if you're drinking or not. They just care if you're having fun and if you're there and they just wanna see you and like your thoughts and be around you. And I quickly realized that I liked buying drinks for friends as much as I ever liked drinking them myself. And like, you can still buy around if you're not drinking alcohol and you can still be present in the moment. And so I, I really did once I like kind of blew through some of the misconceptions that I had about society and drinking, like really realized that I was drinking a lot more than most people in most groups. And a lot of people weren't drinking that heavily in any group at a dinner or a bar. And people really also didn't care if I was drinking or not. So it was all like all good things to discover and like really supportive of my wife and friends.
0: Yeah, totally. And I like the way you described that as you kind of like debunked a lot of these myths for yourself personally, a lot of the fears around how other people would perceive your drinking also just melt away. Because I think for, for myself and for lots of people who are so curious, we realize that lots of that fear comes from our own kind of own judgments against ourselves for being a non-drinker, which then track back, are rooted in all of these kind of societal misconceptions about alcohol and drinking So once we can look at those and dismantle them for ourselves, yeah, the judgment just kind of like eases off as well. For sure.
1: And I didn't immediately turn around and then like start pointing fingers at people being like, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't drink. It was kind of my own journey, but um, the most rewarding element of it was like, so I'd had this positive change in my life and I immediately saw the positive effects of stopping to drink. The most rewarding part for me was that I had a few friends and family members stop drinking after now that like the societal pressure had started to fall away. And me not drinking maybe made them analyze something internally about how they were living. And to see the positive change in their life as like a next level was incredible and so rewarding.
0: Yeah, I talk about this ripple effect fairly often. I've seen the same thing in my life. It came up on this panel I was talking on the other day because someone was talking about, you know, this has been a real, you know, a real moment. There's been this kind of trend. Where's it going to go from here? Will it just peter out? And I was like, it can't because of the ripple effect. Like once the the door, once your eyes have been opened, then there's not really any going back. And for everyone I know who's sober or sober curious, particularly sober curious though, because like you said, like we've been discussing, it's much more, open conversation several people in their life if not everybody has also started questioning their drinking perhaps drinking less changing the way they drink etc etc and that ripple effect is just I think we're only just seeing the beginning of it really which is extremely exciting and especially for you in terms of your business growing as well because I feel like alcohol free beer has been such like a niche category (laughs) I've always loved alcohol free beer right from the very beginning uh, even when I lived in the UK there was one brand Caliber and I remember the first time I had a Caliber it was just such a revelation for me I was like I can be at this party and I'm having exactly the same experience as everyone at the party um what (laughs) that's wild um it was it just it was such an amazing placebo if nothing else just to to remove that kind of um fear of being different or fear of kind of standing out or of people commenting or feeling like I didn't I wouldn't fit in there or deserve to be there. Um, but it's been really amazing as a beer drinker to see so many like great brands come onto the market. Um, but I wonder, I mean, I, I'm guessing yeah, like your your love of craft beer is kind of what where the initial impulse to start Athletic came from. But like you said, you'd never been an entrepreneur. Like you'd never thought that you would be your own boss. It's quite a big, it's kind of a big step like to launch a brewery. That's like, I mean, as somebody who's launched multiple projects, they've always been very low barrier to entry kind of like online platforms or, you know, not a huge amount of investment in terms of time, research, finance, et cetera. But this is, this is kind of a big deal to step into as a complete outsider, as someone who knows nothing about this industry like, how did, you, how did you get the guts up to go for it?
1: Um, it was definitely a long runway um, and so many of the same experiences. Like what you just described, when I realized I could be at social events with a non-alcoholic drink in my hand and have exactly the same experience was such an eye-opening moment for me. Um, but then I was immediately in this um, painful place where, I like I'm such a foodie, I love craft beer, loved wine previously, and um, like what you pair with your meal is such a big part of the occasion, or like the quality of your drink is part of your occasion at any social event, and um, I also wanted to have something I was proud to have in my hand with the label out, not like turning it in so I didn't have to answer questions, and non-alcoholic beer had always previously been marketed towards a total penalty box and very specific not fun occasions they were like very much like when you can't enjoy a moment or participate this is for you where i was like i'm just this healthy normal person who wants to socialize and be in this like i wanted the best best moments of my week to truly have a beverage that matched that and so it was partly that like being a huge foodie and beer lover and like searching for products and like there was such a void um I was ordering beer from Europe, different continents, there's clearly nothing in the US. And I really realized there wasn't much out there that I was proud to try and excited about anywhere really, um, which kind of blew my mind uh, with how amazing the craft brewing world is. Like there's every, there's a local brewery in nearly every town seemingly these days using amazing ingredients, creating world-class beer. And um it blew my mind that all those creative ingenuitive businesses hadn't dove into non-alcoholic beer yet and caught this other 50% of the population. Um, But the moment really hit me. Like, so that had been going in the back of my mind and I was walking with my wife to dinner one night and complaining about how bad the options are going to be on the drink menu to go with this like amazing meal. And I said, I can't believe no one's created a craft brewery yet. Like that just makes amazing non-alcoholic craft beer. And I'll credit my wife, I've, I'd have i probably had this idea in my head for six months and didn't even realize it was an idea. And she grabbed my shoulder and said, you have to do that. Like, that is an amazing idea.
0: I'm pausing the episode briefly here to let you know about the Sober Curious September workshop series that I'm hosting with the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health throughout the month of September 2021. Sober September is the new dry January, a point in the year when millions of people commit to taking a month off booze in order to reset their drinking habits. Now, some just see this as an opportunity for a detox, and that is absolutely fine. But when approached with intention, I've also seen how even just 30 days of not drinking can be the starting point for creating a sustainable and lasting shift in your relationship to alcohol. With this in mind, I will be guiding participants through a series of online workshops spaced throughout the month. These will include interactive exercises, live coaching, and plenty of time for Q&A. And participants can expect to uncover the deeper motivations behind your drinking choices, develop concrete strategies for managing peer pressure and cravings, discover new ways to frame what it means to live alcohol free and change up tired old habits and live a more conscious, connected, and vibrant life. I'll include the link to learn more and sign up in the show notes for this episode. Now, back to my conversation with Bill.
1: We talked about it all through dinner. We went back and like started researching that night and like looking at it and quickly discovered things like almost 50% of adults barely drink, 30% of adults don't drink at all, In the US, the non-alcoholic beer market was just a sliver. It was like 0.3% of the beer market, but worldwide, it was like five to 10% in most markets. And so it was really underserved in the US. But then I started to come to stats, like there are 15 million Americans in the US alone that suffer from alcohol use disorder and probably 10 times or five times as many with undocumented alcohol use disorder. And 36 of Americans in jail were intoxicated when they committed their crimes. And like, saw like I had seen that impact where a couple of my close friends and relatives had gotten sober after I got sober and I saw the impact on their life. And me and my wife immediately saw the chance to take that impact on such a small scale out to those millions of people. And like, I, I'd been in this financial career where no matter how strong a year we had, we weren't going to positively impact anyone's lives, but our own. And there was like a certain emptiness associated with that here. There was a chance and an idea where I could potentially positively impact the health, happiness, families of tens of millions of people. And it was just something I was so obsessed with from the first time me and my wife had that conversation. And Did about two years of business planning in the background, um, reading, brewing textbooks and like trying to figure it out. And like it brought me back to like high school days of science. And it was just like so invigorating to dive into such a big problem and look at the science, look at the textbooks, look at the machinery and like develop a business plan. And it's all just kind of snowballed and turned into like, like I love the challenge of it.
0: Yeah, I can tell. That first night when you went out for dinner, did you sleep that night?
1: <laughs> so I, that week I worked on that a lot and I was working on nights and weekends for about two years, but I still hadn't necessarily gotten to the point where I was like ready to quit my job. I'd done all this work and all this business planning and had all these materials and even thought I had a differentiated way to make non-alcoholic beer versus how everyone else has always done it from reading textbooks. And, like, calling people in Germany and everything. Like, I was waking up at 4 a.m. and calling people in Germany before work. Um, and I went on a two-day ski trip. And my wife read all my materials while I was gone. And at the end of 2016, it was, like, December 29th, right before I was about to start a new work year. And my wife basically sat me down and was like, I think you should quit your job and, like, do this full-time. Like, you'll regret in seven or eight years. If you haven't done this, you'll always wonder what it would have been like and we can figure it out. You should do it. And so, yeah, we really like, it was a joint decision as, um, husband and wife that I was going to do this full time for a few years and see how it went. And the next two nights after that, I didn't sleep at all. And <laughs> that was when I officially did not sleep and then walked in on January 2nd and resigned. Um,
0: I love it. I love it. I'm just like, there's a massive grin on my face because I feel like so many people have business ideas, but it is that taking the taking that leap out of security, you know, security of a regular paycheck, security of like what I've always thought was my path and just taking a massive risk and leap into the unknown is when most people stop short. I think having your partner be so, so supportive is, yeah, I don't think we'd be here if it wasn't for her. What's your wife's name?
1: uh Jackie but Thank yeah you, Jackie. This totally <laughs> it is i wouldn't have realized it in myself or seen the opportunity had she not like pointed out like what was actually in my head and supported me for sure
0: that's really really cool i really i, I like the fact that you brought up that the european market in particular has been so much more advanced cuz i noticed, i remember the first time i went to do like a sober wedding in Ibiza which is like the party capital of Europe (laughs) and I was kind of not nervous because I was beyond the point of like feeling uncomfortable about not drinking at that point but I was curious as to like I wonder what am I just going to be on like Agua Congas for the week or what but I remember going to the supermarket to stock up the first time we when we first arrived put in our like apartment or whatever and um, there were like 10 or 15 different brands of alcohol-free beer I was like this is insane and amazing and I sort of bought all of them (laughs) I was like great I'm gonna get to sample tons of new stuff now why why do you think it's taken the U.S. market so long to catch up and why has Europe been so far ahead
1: yeah it is refreshing in Europe that it is like totally socially accepted that there are different beers or different strength alcohols for different times of day different occasions and there's such a good responsible drinking culture in so many ways too um and I I think part of it might go back to the US where we've had prohibition and we've had alcohol taken away. So there's like so much pride in alcohol and like people are nervous about having it taken away, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was almost a blowback on moderation too. Um, and so I think that's where, and during prohibition, there was like near beer offerings and stuff that um, I think that's where like, non-alcoholic beer got its stigma and got its name and that's really hung on for another 80 90 years um and it's a lot to work through but i i think we're just getting to the moment where information has improved so much and people can objectively evaluate like like people in general are eating healthier and monitoring the inputs into their life like sourcing more organic or plant-based food or like not even necessarily plant-based or carnivore or anything like curating a diet that fits their needs and being able to monitor how it makes them feel. And so I think people are really empowered to cut out different variables in their life now without a lot of societal stigma. So I think the U S is just getting there and like kind of the timing coincides well. And I, I think it is that as that stigma kind of falls down. I think that's a tailwind that's going to be blowing at the back of this movement for a long time.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I have not thought about it like that, like almost as a hangover from prohibition. You have this big binge drinking, very spirits heavy kind of excessive drinking culture, which is there's a lot of bravado around drinking here. I feel like drinking games and like keg parties and all of that is much, it's much more drinking seems much more performative here in the U.S., (laughs) um and it's just more of a kind of like constant steady drip in Europe but then we have the UK which is in the middle which has the kind of worst of both worlds I feel like right. <laughs> you know um but yeah I think that's a really interesting point and even if you think about the the timing you know if you just think about the the the, the generations to be born into prohibition and now re- literally reaching the end of their lives it does almost feel like a a, a part of the sort of a book is closing in a way, you know, and a new page is is being started by younger generations coming through who are just not really interested in alcohol at all, because they're so much more aware of not just like what options are available for them and how they want to live their lives, how they want to identify, like what makes them feel good, but also just so much more aware about mental health and emotional well-being, um, particularly having grown up in a society where there's so much more awareness of all the problems globally that people also didn't have people weren't aware of like global issues in the same way that they are now um 100 years ago you know
1: for sure I think you nailed that on the head with the generational problem too where um not that long ago there was this like wild wild west like cowboys smoking cigarettes drinking whiskey and like romanticism of drinking and smoking and everything and every culture kind of has their romanticism with drinking and And there's definitely, like, I'm definitely not trying to be on a soapbox and like condemning drinking either. There's a lot of great stuff that happens in the craft beer and wine worlds too. Um, But I do think contrasting that generation with the modern generation and Gen Z that has grown up with 24 7 connectivity in their pockets. And at any point, they could, no matter what state they're in, they could be in a video that's on the internet and go viral or you could send a work email accidentally to all of your coworkers at any hour of the day. I think there's a real social and career risk to intoxication, too.
0: I think you're absolutely right. Yes. I'd like to speak to, to kind of talking about kind of like career and just the sort of social landscape. I know you've been really conscious about building a kind of social mission based Um, track into your business too and there are a couple of ways that you're doing this one is two for the trails can you tell us about where what that is and where that idea came from
1: for sure yeah so that was really like the first month of business planning like so way before I quit my job and um, like the whole business was inherently positive in like the products are better for you and meant to impart positive health and life change Um, but also like outdoor access is so key for humans to clear your head for not only exercise, but mindfulness and quality time away from the stresses of the world. And we also only get one chance at this planet. Um, I mean, and we wanted to hard code in our company's DNA from the beginning, like the positive impact we were going to have on the world and the environment. Um, and so we do 2% of all sales, go to trail park, cleanups and maintenance projects, um, anywhere we sell beer. So, um, yeah, it's, um, pretty much every investor meeting I've ever walked into, they've like emailed me an hour or two later with that in Microsoft Excel being like, do you know what this looks like over time? And I'm like, that's exactly the point. We want it to be uncomfortably big and like really put a dent in like the environmental problems we're facing and help improve outdoor access for everyone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, so uh, we did about $300,000 in two for the trails last year in donations all over the country. And um, this year we're hoping to make hundreds of donations in the three to $10,000 range. So it might even grow. It's definitely gonna be over $500,000 this year um, in terms of donations. So and like three thousand dollars here, five thousand here, ten thousand here goes so far to local trails and parks.
0: That's amazing. I love it. And then the other thing I know that well, I noticed from just reading on your website is that you're really also actively involved or investigating issues around diversity in the craft beer industry, which has traditionally been very white, very male. So I guess I'd be I'm curious as to hear why this industry specifically has suffered from such a lack of diversity and also what you're doing to kind of address that or shine a light on that at least. Yeah,
1: our so our ethos has always been, like right from the start, um, starting with positive impact on our team, our customers, the environment and the business community at large. And like what we do positively to the people we impact most directly will ripple out and affect everyone. Um, and John and I were really lucky in that we were homebrewing an empty warehouse for about a year, thinking about like what was important, what we wanted our company culture to be like, what did we stand for? And we drafted an employee handbook uh, about four years ago now that it's still the same handbook we use when we onboard each of our new employees and the concepts we talk about are uniform and stable over that time. Um, and things that are really important to us. And that is, yeah, as like our mission to positively impact the health, happiness, and fitness of our customers and their communities and the environment. Um, But we officially hard-coded that also into 1% of all sales we're allocating towards community impact projects where um, that can take a lot of different forms. And we meant to have flexibility to impact any kind of DEI programs. but some examples of that are um, uh, we're funding a brewing scholarship for people of color to help. Like if, if the brewing industry still hires from itself and speaks to itself and markets to itself, it's going to end up being more and more just exactly what it always has been. Um, and we want to reach broader audiences, <laughs> include more people, not only in employment, but as customers. And so we're trying to be really intentional with Who we recruit into the industry and who we market to as an industry. Um, And then, yeah, we do all sorts of other impact programs like volunteering our time in the community um, through different causes. Um, We've done active bystander training for our team too, so to help support um, like microaggressions and any sort of harassment on any different basis. Um, And so, yeah, it's something that like we're really trying to control the work environment for our team and then our customers' health and then like the environment at large.
0: Right, and just doing what you can in a kind of a sustainable way, building on it like year after year. Is that 1% in addition to the 2% for the trails then? Yep.
1: Right. Yeah, so it's, yeah, definitely a lot of fun and it's growing into a real program. Um,
0: yeah, it oh, sounds awesome. And I think it's just, I mean, one thing that I contemplate Often, and I was thinking about this even before we got on our call, I feel there's part of me that feels like you can't kind of sober up and live this more, it's more conscious life. You're just more awake and aware because you just have your faculties of awareness available to you and you sort of can't help within that become more aware of the issues, particularly around inequality that are persistent in the world. And then feel called to potentially do something to address that. But then I also wonder if my sobering up has kind of occurred at a time when all these issues are just much more front and center. Anyway, I think it's again, it's one of those, um, it's one of those examples of kind of personal choices, meeting the world where it's at. Because actually, part of one thing I hear about, you know, people quitting drinking, particularly coming out of the pandemic, where I think, and you've probably heard a lot about this, people drinking more alcohol to sort of cope with anxiety and boredom and the unknown and fear and all of the things, but realising that actually alcohol is not a good medication (laughs) for these emotional and mental kind of issues. And so a lot of people cutting alcohol out to reduce their anxiety. Um, And so for me, it's all kind of, it's all combined. It's like, quitting, we can drink to pretend that we can't see all of the horrible, awful stuff that's happening in the world, but then we just end up feeling even worse and more helpless. And so we quit. And so we become even more aware of the issues in the world, but we have more capacity to actually meet the world where it's at, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I totally agree with everything you're saying. It is, it is such a challenging time in the world right now but that also makes it such an exciting time. And there's probably like the greatest opportunity right now to have a big impact. And I think you nailed the multiple different ways where you can do that. And it's um, yeah, it is through health and spreading like good information and options for people and like ways to live a more mindful, healthy life. But also it is really in um, like leveling the playing field for all people and like, it it doesn't mean the outcomes have to be the same but at least getting everyone to the same starting line is something we're huge believers in and like really being a uh, a force for positive change in communities and providing resources is what we're all about um mm-hmm. and i've really realized that too is, as a small business owner like it's like there's some like it's such like a shareholder driven society where like the top few percent of society accrue so many benefits of the hard work of so many and one thing we did as we formed our company was to put aside some equity of the company that all of our team would own um, as a team Um, and so that everyone when they start working at athletic is a shareholder from day one and like they can proudly say like a piece of the work they do every day they are owners of and so that's something that like like in the kind of equity Like element of change, like we're huge believers in like actually giving people ownership of the work they do. And so we're huge believers of the quality of work life, equity and ownership and internal promotion and like training people up so they can continue to advance.
0: Which is very counter to the industry that you came out of, or at least many outsiders see the financial industry as, you know, inherently sort of selfish and even corrupt to an extent, you know, in terms of things like equity. So it's it's interesting to see you come out of that with such a different focus about how you want to do business and what you want to put out into the world.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just so hard to break into any industry, really. It's like, um, and to get recognition and advancement for your work. And so we're trying to really create those opportunities. And just as a small business owner, I have such appreciation for the work that every one of our teammates does every day. And it's it's so hard. Like every single challenge we, we approach is definitely difficult. And I'm super appreciative of all our teammates and the help.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that kind of... How about trying to get everybody to like a good starting place, right? In life. <laughs> I feel like health is the kind of like bottom line. And I, when I talk about health, I mean physical, mental and emotional health. And I think sobriety or cut or, I'm not even going to say moderation, not drinking is like a foundational piece in people's health across all of those different pillars, you know, Um, I love telling people that alcohol-free beer is a sports drink and it's actually good for you. (laughs) And I feel like that's something, it's even inherent in the name, athletic brewing. Can you tell us just a little, can you give us the official word on like why alcohol-free beer is actually a health drink?
1: So we we don't actively make health claims just for advertising regulations, but we did want to take non-alcoholic beer out of the penalty box we've talked about and make it positive and aspirational and something like you are in a feel good, proud state when you're drinking it, rather than like, like immediately being like on your heels when you're holding it in your hand. And um, I think beer in general is a health is, um, I don't want to say healthy, but it has like a lot of great things going for it. It, Beer in general, there've been a lot of studies where it's full of electrolytes. It's anti-inflammatory to your respiratory system. and it, it really is ultimately very clean label, only made from four ingredients, water, hops, barley, and yeast. And if you're using high quality sourced ingredients, like those are three really wholesome whole foods. And mixing those up in tanks is like, um, it, it's a great fermented beverage. Um, and so, and with the added plus, like alcohol is a known diuretic and it like, it is super dehydrating. Um, and There've been a lot of articles recently that alcohol is a carcinogen um, and may cause brain damage. And so like taking that element and putting it aside and leaving just the like, the hydrating, the anti-inflammatory and the clean label elements of beer without the alcohol is something we're shooting for and really excited to be a part of.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I'm curious as well, you um, you mentioned being a wine lover and something that people still constantly ask me about, but wait, where's the really good alcohol-free wine? When is the alcohol-free wine industry going to catch up with the alcohol-free beer industry? So Bill, is this on your, is this on your docket? <laughs> future, so the, gonna...
1: <laughs> there is a lot of good work being done out there in different parts of the non-alcoholic industry. And so I've heard whispers and seen startups launching non-alcoholic wines that I'm really excited to try. Um, I'd say John and I have been really intellectually curious about non-alcoholic wine for a long time. Uh, John's background is in, like, all in food. His dad um, was one of the early pioneers in the U.S. in, like, farm-to-table restaurants in Connecticut back in, like, the 1970s and 80s. And John worked in those restaurants and has incredible food knowledge and recipe creation ability. And so just as people who love good food, John and I have been really curious to try to make good non-alcoholic wine and have some good ideas. I think we'll probably start small batching it for our team in the near term. And then we'll start to think about the bigger investment decisions of where's all this wine going to sit and ferment for six to 12 months and in big tanks. So um, there's a lot of structural challenges to wine in terms of just needing to age it and, things like that, where it naturally takes up a lot of space, where beer you can turn through in about 10 days.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I'm very excited to um, see how those experiments play out. Um, Just to finish up today, lots of your story, particularly at the beginning, sounded very high performance. Now you're living this entrepreneurial life, which I, I, I know from experience is kind of an always on, like always on your game constantly kind of like pushing, looking for the next thing, kind of an existence. And I'm wondering, how do you relax? (laughs) Like for many people, myself included, for many people who are very kind of like performance focused, like you even touched on, alcohol is that very easy off switch into, okay, I'm going to just chill out for a few hours now. Removing it, that was one of the biggest challenges for me. Like I don't know how, I realized I did not know how to relax and I still am challenged by that. And so I'm curious how you, um, how you kick back, switch off, unwind.
1: Yeah. Uh, Generally a few hundred emails is how I relax. No, just kidding.
0: Um, (laughs) I was literally taking you uh, seriously because I actually have had days (laughs) where I'm like, "Uh, all I'm going to do is emails today. And there's something kind of relaxing about not having to actually like solve anything or make anything.
1: (laughs) For sure. But not, but
0: Jake. also just kidding.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's. No, I mean, any element of starting a small business, I have such respect for any small business I walk by or encounter in the world. It's like, no matter what scale you're doing a small business on, it is so tough. And the smallest things are huge problems on any given day. And, um, but that being said, like, personally, um, I, as I've, um, move forward in my adult journey. Like I've really come to evaluate, um, value meditation and mindfulness. Um, I definitely start, start and finish every day, like with meditation, at least five minutes. Um, when I'm feeding my dogs in the morning, I do a bit of meditation and I make sure not to look at my phone until I've fed my dogs and meditated and like started the day on my own terms. And, um, to relax I really like just either putting away my phone and doing a great workout like listening to something that's like a total intellectual distraction um love spending time with family and friends and just like having a great meal going to a sports bar watching a sporting event or a tv show um or just really hanging out with my wife and dogs
0: so same kind of stuff just without the alcohol
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> good, good food, good drinks, good people. and
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Hopefully less technology.
0: Yeah. And some nature, some nature time too. For sure. We can get that in. Yep. Yeah. Well, Bill, thanks. This has been so great to like finally hear the full story of athletic. You do make my favorite alcohol-free beers and I'm always really excited to try all the new variants that you bring out. um, And I have to say, I'm seeing it more and more places like walking past bars in my neighborhood. I'm seeing people outside holding it and stuff. So yeah, good for you. Thank you, Jackie. And um, keep doing what you're doing.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Ruby. I really appreciate the kind words, but we also really appreciate your voice in this industry and helping amplify the messaging that everyone is putting out there and like really providing good information to everyone trying to make good choices. So thank you so much for connecting.
0: And thank you as always for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a five star review on iTunes to help more people find this series. This podcast is edited and features original music by AloeAudio.com. That's A L O E Audio.com.